Hello, podcast world. This is the Freedom Warrior Podcast. Ahead on the program today, the government shutdown. A few things get debunked. I'd like to address the cost of the shutdown, a few talking points that are easily debunked. Uh, we'll go deep dive into uh, progressivism and why, uh, is on a separate subject and similarly related, why do college graduates vote Democrat? Uh, well, let's just jump right in. So on the shutdown, one of the common talking points is that, you know, it's going to cost a particular amount of money and that, uh, you know, we're, we're during the shutdown, you know, these people are out of work and, you know, we're just so callous. So a lot of people want to talk about the callousness on display because of the people who have been furloughed because of the shutdown now that it's over, you know, but they're they're done with that but they'll bring it up again the next shutdown but you know i don't remember any of these people saying anything about the millions of people who lost their jobs because of obamacare and they weren't furloughed they lost their jobs permanently i didn't see the same amount of uh rancor the same amount of news stories about people suffering because of the actions of politicians i'll tell you why they didn't why you didn't hear that uh, Obama and the media love affair. That's why. However much the media hate Trump, they loved Obama to the same degree of passion. And on the subject of the shutdown, by the way, another talking point I hear is that it's not worth the five-plus billion dollars it'll cost. Well, this is the first time I recall leftists giving a damn about spending something as small as $5 billion. Obama blew out the budget. Our national debt, it, it went up to, it's over now, but it went up to $20 trillion. It was at roughly $10 trillion when he uh, took office, or about 68% of the GDP, the annual GDP. In 2016, when he left office, the national debt was up to 104% of GDP. So let me repeat that. When Obama takes office, the national debt, total debt, all the debt owed, add up all your credit card bills, the total debt in your household, the, and in the household of America, the total debt was 68% of our income, essentially. That was in 2008. 2016... It is up to 104%, meaning we are we have more debt than we make in a year, which is insane. That's just not good. And we're talking about spending more. Uh, and we're and, and then going back time back to the border wall here. We have this kind of debt issue, and we're bickering about a fi five billion for a wall. So this wasn't about the five billion, because. Well, let me let me just also add one thing before I before I talk about how the how much the wall costs. Going back to the year 2000 when Bush first took office, the national debt was only 55% of GDP. We went from being fiscally somewhat responsible to being the equivalent of, you know, a 16-year-old girl with daddy's credit card for the first time at a shopping mall in Los Angeles. You know, just going going wild. That's basically what happened. Now, back to this wall. 
the shutdown cost, and this is this is the debunking part, right? The the shutdown cost seven times the five point seven billion for the border security funding. So don't don't let the pragmatists and the people on the left that tell you they just you know it's just not economically feasible. I don't really I don't see the value in it. You know, uh, don't let them tell you that they they spent seven times that just to oppose it, and that's what happened. Uh, moving ahead, progressivism. It's one of my favorite subjects because I feel like a lot of people don't have enough education or awareness of some of the things that where progressivism stems from. So, what I've noticed on the left is that there's a humanitarian impulse in leftists which by itself is commendable however they lack a basic sense and fiduciary responsibility and in cases like for example the housing crisis where they encouraged unqualified families to get the subprime loans they knew that the money was probably lost and that the taxpayer would be fleeced to socialize the losses so you know, it's things like that. They just figure it'll get socialized later, so they don't really care about the spending. Um, that's where the equal mis equal uh, misery comes into play that you always hear about with socialism. So even if creditors believe we will pay our and honor our national debt, I assure you that the Democrats have no intention of doing so. Their intent will be transparent to creditors and that alone will negatively affect our interest rates and ability to get future loans because they see that you're going out of control with your spending you're not being uh, very loyal to uh, you know the path forward to actually pay these things off you're more just going off on a whim controlled by the the winds of uh, politics and that's a problem so that brings me back to you know what what if society progresses in a way that is antithetical to its own principles? That's what we have going on in America with Democrats. You know, where, why have previous societies fallen apart? I'm sure as you go back in the history books, look, other societies have progressed in the past only to fall into disrepair or worse. Why did this happen if they were moving forward on the trajectory of progress? Is it possible that the philosophical shortcomings of a progressive movement ultimately supersede any good intentions? Rome progressed. It also became a failed state. It crumbled because of poor economic policy. Economics don't care what progress you're making. Basic economics are far more black and white than people give credit for. I, I don't even accept the premise of progressivism to begin with, but it doesn't even matter. The economics alone will make or break a society, and the economics of progressivism is suicide. And more broadly, progressivism is a philosophy and political movement which is a mere prisoner of the moment. This is why the flavor of the day issue, whether it's some LGBT issue or $15 minimum wage or universal health care or paying off all college st student loans. Believe me, I would love to have that, but I owe student loans still. I understand it doesn't just go away. But all of these issues, it ultimately boils down to the momentum of now. The needs of the present are not always good for the future, though, let alone when you build an entire political party off of this premise. Now, on the opposite end, conservatism 
is about the opposite. It's about a timeless movement founded on an eternal truth. People want to be free. And people deserve to be free. They have a right to it. Conservatism isn't the same as progressivism. It's not an ideology like Marxism and progressivism are. Conservatism, uh, as Steve Dace uh, wrote in his new book, uh, Truth Bombs, is observational science. Authentic conservatism comes from being an honest student of history and then from there seeking to conserve for this and future generations that which has been revealed by history to be the best for humans. So, you know, this makes conservatism more than an ideology. It makes conservatives stewards of history of that which is noble, just, and true through time. It enables us to reject personal preferences, desires, and opinions when they conflict with revealed truths from history. As uh, Steve Dace uh, continues in his book, he says, we are acknowledging there are forces at work in this world mightier than ourselves, and wisdom is first born by acknowledging God is God, and we are not. So, you know, secular progressives, that doesn't mean all progressives or all Democrats are, are secular, but the ones who are secular, which is the, the majority of them, uh, they don't share this same stance. They believe they are as mighty as God, or mightier, in fact, because they don't believe God exists at all. All human interaction in their eyes must be controlled by human arbiters of justice and fairness. The arrogant notion that we can reshape or ignore history and human nature in favor of our whims is an idea only idealists could latch onto. So just let that digest and, and think about how that applies to progressives that you know or maybe public figures that you see. Uh, moving forward, why do college graduates vote Democrat? So I often hear leftists lecture about how Republicans are low-information voters, how they're essentially idiots who never went to college, they back this up by stating the fact that most college graduates vote Democrat. Well, let's look at the why. Roughly 40% of colleges across the United States were lacking a Republican professor. That's uh, per an article by the National Association of Scholars in 2018. So indeed, faculty uh, political affiliations at 39% of the colleges in my sample, in the sample are Republican free. This is a quote um, from the, the survey there. Having the, it's Republican free, nearly 40%, and largely having zero Republicans uh, going on, that the remaining 61%, most of them featured barely more than 0% GOP professors. He, uh, he noted that is uh, Langbert, I believe, was uh, the one commenting on this article is that 78.2% of the academic departments that he sampled had either zero Republicans or so few as to make a difference. 78% of colleges had so few, 0% or so few not to make a difference. So we're looking at a pretty big problem here. There were exceptions 
to the to the pervasive prejudice against conservatives at college and universities universities but notably they were primarily either religious or military colleges which tend to lean more right or certainly not as far left um, but you know in this kind of environment how many conservatives could possibly come out of this during the one period of life when people are most likely to be molding their political views college professors are overwhelmingly leftist so much so that nearly 80% of all academic departments have zero conservatives or barely ha enough to even register. Digging their heels in, leftists will likely just fall back on saying that these professors lean in that direction because they believe in facts and science. Conveniently, this will reinforce the disparity and the bias. But don't let that deflection derail the conversation here. Leftists have a monopoly on academia, and it shows. According to a recent uh, SurveyMonkey poll of 2,777 adults, they found that 61% of 18- to 24-year-old adults reacted positively to the word socialism, with just 58% reacting positively towards capitalism. A recent Gallup poll also found that Support for capitalism dropped among Democrats from 56% in 2016 down a full nine points to 47% in 2018. All it took was one change of president for their support of capitalism to fall nearly 10 percentage points below the 50% line. So it's safe to say, for now at least, that Democrats do not favor capitalism or free markets. And the data, according to Gallup, shows that. If anything is to change, it will have to start early with a new generation of, uh, you know, socialist-loving ignoramuses set to push forward the future policies and laws of our de de uh, democracy. You know, it's critical that we educate those on the failure that is socialism. Plenty of evidence for it. Uh, almost overwhelming, one could say. So this, is, this has to be done at home. Don't let your kids go through life without hearing the greatness and the good that has been done uh, and been brought to them by the free markets. Don't let them underappreciate all that they have. Remind them how good they have it, no matter the hurdles or adversity. I've said it before, but there are kings in the past 100 years who would be jealous of the quality of life of a millennial in 2019, and yet they still complain I guess it's human nature. Um, you know, the, just let that sink in for a minute. You know, the, the battlefield is is grim. You know, the, the, the political and cultural battlefield out there. Uh, but hope is not lost. You know, we still have a say. We still have freedom. Let's exercise it. As I always say, my name is Derek. This is the Freedom Warrior Podcast. And enjoy your freedom.